Welcome to the Acts 29 podcast, a resource for planting churches worldwide. And I'm your host, Jeff Metters, the Director of Assessment for Acts 29, living in the best city in all of Texas, Houston, Texas. And we have Ben Conley on the show today, who lives in the second best city uh, in the state of Texas, Fort Worth, right, Ben? You are, I think, I, I think you reside in Fort Worth. Yeah, we might need to start over though. I do live in Fort Worth, but but I think you got the order of best cities in Texas reversed mm. a little bit. So if we need to <laughs> scratch that and start over, I have time uh, to to yeah. correct that. No, I I think um, <laughs> let me check my notes. Uh, yeah, Houston. Yeah, Houston's still number one. Houston's still number one. But you you guys do got the stockyards. It's great. At least it's not Dallas. We can uh, agree so we can, on that. Absolutely. We can agree on that. Yeah. We love you, Dallas folks, Matt, um, Tyler Powell, so many others that live in Dallas. We love you. It's just a friendly, some friendly Texas banter exactly. between our, we won't even mention Austin and, right, uh, right. and Dodson and Mark Zeller and Will Walker and all those other guys out there. We won't even mention Amarillo and so many other A29 <laughs> guys all around Texas. Yeah. But we, here we got Houston. Here we got Fort Worth. And we have on the show today, I'm excited to have Ben Conley on the show. Ben, you have been in ministry for years. We've known each other for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you give us uh, listeners who may be being introduced to you for the first time, and you're on the show today, we want to talk about your new book, Reading the Bible and Missing the Gospel, Recovering from Shockingly Common Ways We Get the Bible Wrong in Our Everyday Lives. So Ben, who in the world are you? And uh, tell us a little about a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, honored to be here. Honored to uh, come alongside and continue to resource church planting. It is a huge, huge, huge uh, passion of mine. Um, I've gotten to plant. I think I've gotten to be a part of five church plants, four or five church plants. Uh, two of them uh, got to plant with a team as kind of the the, the lead. One of them, I had no idea we were planting a church. Uh, learned later, it's like, oh, I think I think that was a church plant. Um, and then the other uh, was in between those, and I got to learn a lot about planting a church by being on the staff of of a church plant. So, this heartbeat, extra nine's heartbeat, your heartbeat, Jeff. I, I just so resonate with all of it. Um, so that's that's been a lot of my uh, working hours of who I am. Uh, I know that, that ministry is more than just work, but but a lot of the waking hours have gone to that vocation, that calling. Um, more important than that, uh, I've been married to Jessica for almost 17 years. Uh, we have three kiddos um, and get to do some foster care as well and live on a beautiful street in the best city in Texas, which is Fort Worth, not Houston, um, where we've gotten to have some sweet neighborly engagement and walk through some hard times and walk through some beautiful times and try to love neighbors and love our city well. Yeah. I love that, man. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing uh, in Fort Worth with what is called Plant Fort Worth. I know Jim Essien, who's X29 brother out there at the Paradox Church in Fort Worth, and just moved into their amazing building. If you've not seen it on Instagram or Facebook or anything, you got to go see. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible facility that you, you can tell when you look at it, like that's not an elementary school. This is a this is a, a gathering of the saints gathering to worship Jesus Christ and the hope of the gospels echoing out of this out of this building. Uh, but tell us what you're doing, what you guys are doing there with Plant Fort Worth. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, the 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 name is as clear as we could make it. Um, we believe that Fort Worth needs the gospel. Believe that church planting is a way, sometimes the primary way, but at least a way of getting the gospel into new pockets of need in Fort Worth. 
Um, and we believe that we're better even in, when we lay down our kind of secondary convictions and churches band together for the good of the city. And so I know Houston has Houston Church Planning Network. Uh, it's been cool. And just, man, I just feel the grace of God in this to see different pockets of city collaboration pop up uh, across the country and the world. Um, and we're trying to do that with uh, with Fort Worth. So Leader lunches uh, that Plant Fort Worth hosts bring in different folks to consider healthy churches, healthy leaders, healthy planting, um, really trying to help, trying to be proactive and helping sending churches realize that they have a place in sending and supporting uh, church planters and missionaries, frankly. Because um, it feels like, and again, I've, I've dabbled in the church planting world for the better part of two decades, Um a missing piece of the puzzle is the sending church. We focus a lot on the planter, focus a lot on the training, that kind of stuff. But, but without that, that realization that every church really does have a part to play in the continuing unfolding story of the God, uh, story of the church written by God for the nations, um, we're always going to be hindered. Um, so we're trying to help churches become sending churches and then come alongside those who are being sent with a couple different forms of, of residency uh, that we always have some folks from our city and some folks come in for, uh, for that process as well. The residency process. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very cool what you guys are doing. I know Doug Logan was just there and, and Doug was. and I were talking about that. And so, yeah, we, we love what you guys are doing in Fort Worth and, and here also in the Houston church planning network. And we're seeing more of these things pop up. And so as X 29 seeks to plant churches worldwide, we, that also means we don't overlook our, our cities right here and our communities here. Yeah. And so we want to continue to see churches planted, uh, planted everywhere. So if you live in the Fort Worth area, go uh, check that out. Uh, plant Fort Worth. What's the website been? So uh, it is, it's really confusing. Plantfortworth.com. Okay, yeah. Do not go to the uh, fiddle fig, you know, uh, snake plant store. Make sure you go to plantfortworth.com. I, I bet that confusion's never happened. No that's, one's probably ever rolled up to a lunch there. And, so many times people plant. show up at the fiddle. <laughs> what did you call it? The fiddle fig? A fiddle fig. You don't know what a fiddle fig oh, is? I do. I just, uh, yeah, I, I have one. Yeah, I, I have in, a, in you a fiddle fig. He's doing great. And I have a snake plant. I think you might be able to see my snake plant behind me. Um, I named it after Kobe after we uh, the world lost him okay. um, a couple of years ago now. So he's back there. Uh, Mamba is doing well. Give, give Mamba plenty of water. And yeah, Kobe. All right. Well, let's let's talk about your book, Ben. We are here to talk about something I'm passionate about. Obviously, mm-hmm. you're passionate about it. You, you wrote a book on it. You spent many months, many, many months putting this together, um, mm-hmm. talking about it, writing it. Um, in one way, it's kind of hermeneutics, and it's, it's broader probably than hermeneutics, the study and art of the scriptures. But I think this is a great book for people to read on how to study the scriptures. So here's the title again for people who didn't hear it at the top. Reading the Bible, that's good. Missing the gospel, that's bad. That's that's the title. Subtitle, Recovering from Shockingly Common Ways We Get the Bible Wrong in Our Everyday Lives by Ben Conley. Ben, why did you write this book? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, I wrote it in part uh, because every time I go to the scriptures, I realize, man, there's something new, something fresh, something that uh, I haven't seen, haven't known, haven't dwelled with. And so just in part, the broadest way to answer it is saying every time I go to the scriptures, there's just something fresh and something alive in it. Um, and, and I would like to hope that we never come to the end of that. Um, yeah. more specifically though, this, this, this is kind of a, a, a message, a theme that's been resonating with me since 
my seminary days, 20 years ago or so, um, where, where we very much went through systematically, here's the books of the Bible, here's the themes, here's the main message, here's how to, you know, observe it and, uh, interpret it and apply it, this kind of stuff. Um, I learned to love the Bible in seminary. Um, and at the same time, there's always this, this thing in the back of my mind, uh, this one phrase that I read in the Bible that I was learning to love, that Jesus rebukes the religious leaders of his day in John 5 by saying, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is the scriptures that bear witness about me, but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Mm-hmm. And so what started churning then is, do have we actually, for all the good good, good, good things about reading our Bibles, studying the Bibles, knowing our Bibles. Have we actually put our hope in the Bible for salvation? And if we put our hope in the Bible to give us life, that not only does the Bible not promise us, but that Jesus promises we won't find in the scriptures. We, we will only find them in him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's, it's alarming. Even as, you know, I'm so familiar with that passage. It's, mm-hmm. I feel like I talk about it all the time. I bet you do too. John 5, 39, Luke 24, both of the verses in Luke 24. But until you just said it then, I think I've always stopped, as I've said it publicly, I probably said it in a sermon on Sunday. You search the scriptures, think that in them they have life, but is they the bear witness about me, period. And that's usually where I stop it, uh, period. Rather than it is they that bear witness about me and you refuse to come to me Oh man, I, it's like we can go to the scriptures, we can approach them, read them, study them, teach them, and then at the same, we can like be refusing to go to Jesus, which I think is very scary and and very alarming for how we approach the Bible and that we that there is a better way, a Christian way, the true way to actually read the scriptures. Yeah, I mean that is exactly it because what I forget who said this one time, but essentially uh, it's the difference between a windshield and looking through the windshield. Uh, It's the difference between the view and getting caught by just staring at, you know, we've all had bugs or cracks on our windshield and that kind of stuff. And a windshield is a good thing. And yet if we get so obsessed with the windshield that we forget to look at the view through it, um, then a windshield isn't doing its job and we're overvaluing the windshield. Um, and, and I think that's part of what Jesus is saying in this verse. And frankly, a lot of what even good Bible teaching churches, and, and I, I have some of this in my past. I have to work against it whenever I'm teaching it. The Bible is going, what am I pointing people to? Is it a wrong view of the Bible or is it to see through the scriptures to the, to the author, to the God behind the scriptures, mm-hmm. to the true source of life? Yeah. Well, Ben, that's like, this is such a critical issue. So let's get into some of the things you talk about in the book. Obviously, we can't go through all of it. We only got... 30 minutes. And also I think people need to go get the book on Amazon, go, go pick that up. But what are some of the commonly shocking ways that, um, that people are, that we're reading the Bible wrong or teaching the Bible wrong and missing the gospel? So what are some of these common, um, things that you've seen that, that are really problems and that we're misreading the Bible? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to acknowledge like one of the ways people read the Bible wrong is just to not read it hard stop. Um, and obviously there is, there is the ability to know God primarily through the scriptures as other ways, community spirit, you know, but, but God tells us I've revealed myself through, through the scriptures. And so as we, as we address the, the issue of reading the Bible wrong, we have to at least start with going, some people just don't read the Bible wrong. 
But then I would suggest that the overarching way that those of us who do read the Bible, at least with some regularity, the overarching way we read it wrong um, is to make the Bible about me. Right. Um, and, and so we go to it going like, oh, if I could just get this nugget of knowledge about God, then I'm a little bit more holy. Or if I could find a verse that makes me feel good today, then I got some catharsis out of the scriptures. Um, or even if I can get this list of rules, then I can try to be obedient and do better for God kind of stuff. And, and, and that's where a lot of folks, at least experientially, end up approaching the Bible from. It's one of those starting points. What can I do? What can I know? How can I feel better? Um, and, and that breaks down the whole message of both Christianity and also the, the Bible that we hold to, um, which is it's not about you. Um, and it can't be about you. Um, you can't, God did, right? It's the, the, the yeah, message yeah. of Christianity. And so it would make sense that the scriptures that reveal God would also remind us we can't, we can't obey. We might not feel better about ourselves, this kind of stuff, but rather than turning it back toward me, we end up being drawn into the much truer, much more life-giving source, which is to say, but God did do it. And in God, we can find satisfaction. And in God, we can know not just about him, but, but truly know him and his glories. Yeah. So I, I know that there are, there are probably some people listening. They know we got people all across the United States and all across North America and Latin America, Africa and Europe, Asia. We, we've got people listening all over the world who are going to have different backgrounds as they hear about this. And so some people are going to have an allergic reaction to what you're saying that I think they need to be stretched in because they're like, oh, that that's anti that sounds antinomian. That sounds like obedience doesn't matter. That's just, you know, that's that whole let go and let God. And that's not biblical. So that's not what you're saying. I, I know, I know you and I know that's not what you're teaching. So how is this not that? You know, when Jesus says in John 16, I've said these things to you, I've said these things so that you may have joy. Um, so like, how do these things fit together and reading the Bible rightly with, with Jesus as the hero, with God as, with God as the hero and his redemptive story. And then also for our sanctification, um, how do we bridge these and not confuse them, um, as, as you do so well in the book? Uh, So walk us through that objection people have. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And, and we do want to be precise with this. And and again, like <laughs> I just feel the need to say this every time I talk to someone, I am commending reading the Bible, just for the record. It is a good thing. <laughs> it's it's just asking the question, what lens are we reading through? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um and, and so some lenses that we kind of walk through in the book, and and this is not like a three-step process. This is a lot of inviting us into just a different worldview toward the scriptures. One is, and you mentioned this already, Jeff, but reading the Bible as if it's primarily God's story. Because um, it is Genesis to Revelation. Certainly there are people that have a part to play, but the main character is God. And we see primarily who he is and what he's doing and um, all of his attributes. And, and then if we admit that it is God's story, then a second lens is going, okay, well, now where do humans fit in the story? Um, and largely what we see, even in the, the best humans, which frankly might be few and far between in the scriptures, right. but even in the best humans, they only imperfectly reflect God, who is the main character. Um, they are finite. They do still sin. They are still broken, which is to say they still need God to be the main a main character in their own story. They, they need God to be the main character of the Bible. Um, 
And then if we realize that, that that's true of David, that's true of Noah, that's true of John the Baptist, that's true of the Apostle Paul, how much more can we then go to the scriptures going, okay, God, I need you to be the main character of your own story, and I need you to be the main character of, of my own life, um, which is kind of the third lens. So reading the Bible as God's story, knowing where we fit in the story, we're not the main character, we're the supporting cast in desperate need of the main character. And, and then that opens up the third lens of for every verse, for every paragraph or passage or for the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, how do we learn to see Jesus as the hero, but more than the hero also as the redeemer? Um, Because we can all look at heroes and be like, oh, one day I want to be like that. Um, And the downside, uh, my son wants to be be Batman or Spider-Man, depending on what the day is. Um, He won't be. And the difference, the good news difference that the scriptures give us is Jesus is the hero of every story, but he's also the fulfillment and the redeemer and the the everything that humans in the story aren't. And so we can look at the scriptures and every verse in it uh, and see Jesus as the hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so it's so important for us to to thread this needle um, and to read the Bible rightly, which I think has always been the. It feels like it's always in, not the speed bump, but it feels like almost like the pit that the church can fall into, different uh, eras of the church from even pre-Reformation, but definitely post-Reformation of we read the Bible wrongly and we get into some very dangerous uh, places. We get to some very uh, places that lack true spiritual power, that lack true spirituality. Um, This is why one of the common refrains Jesus says to the Pharisees, we were joking about it before the show, is, have you not read? Yeah. Um, and, and he knows that they've read it. Like, yeah. and often it's like, I remember Sam Alberry making the joke one time when Jesus points this out, he tells them, have you not read? And it's literally Genesis chapter two. Mm-hmm. So it, Jesus yeah. knows they've gotten to the second page or the, you know, right, yeah. the second section <laughs> the of primary the primary school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They've got there, but he's, he's telling them you haven't read rightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you really haven't understood this. And yeah. so maybe we can, let's, I know in the book you go through this, so I think it might be a good test case for us right now, mm-hmm. is let's use Philippians 2. Right. The Philippians 2 famous passage about the incarnation and the servanthood of Christ um, and having this mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that though he is God, he took on the form of a servant. He did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, as the Christian Standard Bible translates that, which I really appreciate. Um, mm-hmm. but he mm-hmm. made himself a servant and so on and on and on. So what are some of the ways that we, we read the Bible wrongly? We read the Bible and miss the gospel in that passage. And yeah, then yeah, how, how should we read it rightly? Great. Um, yeah, so, so obviously that's a, that's a huge question. <laughs> uh, but just taking a couple of those common lenses that we go to the scriptures with, um, if our primary, if our primary lens to go to the scriptures with is to, to always know more about God, we feel more holy. If we know more about him, if we've dis- dissected the Greek a little bit better, this kind of stuff, like there is rich theology in Philippians too. Um, I mean, you kind of get the, the threefold humiliation of Jesus. You know, he came, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, born in the likeness of man, and then was obedient to death. So there's, you get some Trinitarian interaction. Like you could go to that, passage just wanting to know more about God. And you could walk away being like, great, I understand more about him. I feel better about my my holiness, my knowledge of God. Um, other people go to that passage and just go, man, like how sweet is it that Jesus died for me? It's kind of the devotional reading. Um, 
all of that that I've said so far is true for the record. Like we do see the threefold humiliation of Jesus. Jesus does die for us on even death on a cross, this kind of stuff. Um, and, and so we could do a couple other kind of, of those similar kind of viewpoints. Um, I mean, the, the rules based kind of mentality, which, which is my own background is like, what do you, you go to the scripture looking for commands to follow this kind of stuff, have this mind among yourselves, which is basically saying, Jesus was humble. You should be humble too. Right. And, and so we can go like, okay, now I've got another task. Here's my daily task. My obedience today is to be humble like Jesus was. The problem is, is that all those things let us down. Um, we will never come to the end of our knowledge about God. And also if we're just anything ology, right? Theology, it, it's, it's, it's removing ourselves a little bit. It's a study of something. And the beauty of Jesus through the spirit is to invite us, not just to know about God, but to know him. And so it's not just enough to, to know about him. Um, if we're reading through the kind of cathartic emotional lens, like it is really beautiful to be like, man, Jesus would do that for me. Um, and then we're driven back to the scriptures as soon as we feel like we forget that or need to be reminded of that. Um, the rules based, you've probably never fallen into this legalism, Jeff, that I have, but we all know what happens when we like know a command to follow, but realize, man, I can't follow this by my own power. Um, we either hide from it, um, pretend, put on the facade, like, oh, look how good I'm doing while in my heart, I know that I'm not obeying. Or we kind of minimize God's holiness and go like, well, I was humble enough today. Um, or, you know, we bring his, his standard down to meet our abilities. Um, none of that is what this passage is inviting us to do. Um, even if we were able to be like, oh man, I can, I, I can be, look how humble I was today. I was the most humble. I actually achieved it. Like then we're like, Oh, well, that feels prideful to say. So I bought yeah, it and got to start over again. I just ruined it. Um, this is a beautiful hymn about the glory of Jesus. And, and so we get to go like, Hey, we'll never understand the inner Trinitarian dynamics, but you know, who does is, is, is the Trinitarian God. Um, we'll never wake up day after day after day fully, you know, self-affirmed, <laughs> but, but you know where our affirmation comes from and where something far better than catharsis comes from is knowing that we have the freedom to walk in light because of the, the gospel of Jesus that this passage is expounding on. Um, we will never be perfectly humble, but you know, who was perfectly humble is Jesus who emptied himself, taking the form of a servant being born in likeness of man and, and becoming obedient to death and then being highly exalted. And, and so it just, this whole thing points us to Jesus and by contrast, how unlike Jesus we are and how much we need Jesus. And so then we get to go, okay, so the call is to be humble in this passage, but it's not by our strength. It's not by our ability. It's by seeing the glorious humility of Jesus and then trusting that in my lack of humility, he humbled himself to die even for that. Yeah. And then he gave us the spirit to empower us to a humility that I could never achieve or attain on my own. Yeah. Yeah. It is a, it is a beautiful and essential reading that I think Paul is teaching right there mm -hmm. for us that he begins, you know, have this mind among yourselves, a command or yes. the classic imperative, you know, have it, right. do it. But then it. he, but then he says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Right. How yeah, are we going to get that? 
Yeah. Only in Jesus. Only in Jesus is the only way. You can't do this on your own, which is right. legalism teaches, do it this way. Uh, yeah. Antinomianism says, oh, let's recognize that that's true and good, but eh, you can't do anything about it anyways. No, exactly. it's, yeah, the true gospel-centered, true Christianity is exactly what you've been saying. Recognize it's all in Jesus, all from yeah. Jesus, all to Jesus. And I love that it is this hymn, as you point out, that like we're going to worship and praise yeah. Jesus through that. And then that does motivate our obedience. It does, you know, that grace never minimizes obedience. It actualizes right. it. It, yes. it makes it real. Um, and so that we see this all throughout the scriptures, that anything we come to, I, I love to think of the book of Proverbs in this same way, mm-hmm. is Proverbs yeah. as the classic can be abused as just the Hebrew fortune cookies, Hebrew <laughs> right. horoscopes, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not the intent. But yeah. that, as Paul teaches us, Jesus is our true wisdom. Mm-hmm. Jesus lived out the Proverbs for us. And Jesus did all of these Proverbs. He lived the wise way. And now he's living these Proverbs through us. These are all ours in him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's so important for us to see and read the scriptures this way and and to not have kind of what you talk about in the book as these kind of blurry-eyed readings. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there anything else you want to add to that of how maybe some, how we get these kind of blurry-eyed readings of text uh, when when the Spirit wants to give us full, illuminated, Mm -hmm. clear, canonical readings of, of the scriptures? Yeah. Yeah. I think that what I would add to that and, and well, yeah, I think what I would add to that is just to say like the biggest piece of the Bible story that we miss is the fullness of the gospel, um, that we can look at Jesus's life and go, okay, I can try to be like that. But, but again, that's him as the hero, the example, which he is, but we can't be like that. And so his, his sacrificial death for all the ways we are not obedient and not reliant that matters. But then Jeff, I know you turns out you're a huge resurrection guy. Yeah, Feels silly yeah. to say we all should be about, about the <laughs> resurrection, <laughs> but I've been in assessments where you've gone like you left Jesus dead on the cross. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that that's, that's what I would add to this is going, man, there's so much about the death and resurrection event that if we read, you know, the Proverbs, like you mentioned, or some of the old Testament temple theology or this kind of stuff, And we miss the fact that Jesus was not only the full and final sacrifice, but that his spirit left the Holy of Holies and is now dwelling in us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Like that changes our view of mission and worship and even what is, what is the church? And when we gather, we are, we are at the church and, and, and also the temples of the Holy Spirit go out into the, the various places wherever we are during the week. Like the resurrection changes mission and worship and community. Um, the resurrection changes our view of, of forgiveness even. And I know we probably don't have time for this, but if we really believe that in the death of Jesus, that, that all sin truly has been forgiven and removed, then what we're invited to is to confess our sin to God but to be assured, as some churches really beautiful play, beautifully play out on a Sunday, we get to confess, but we get to be assured, not in this moment, God's forgiving you again. Our assurance is, no, even that was taken care of on the cross, and you get to walk in the newness of life. And so death and resurrection just matters so, so, so deeply if we're going to truly live a, a, a resurrected life. Yeah. 
Yeah, the resurrection is the only way that we can live a truly Christian life. Without the resurrection, as Paul says in First Corinthians 15, I mean, I'm preaching the choir now, but you sure. know, we, we're still dead in our sins. Our, mm-hmm. our faith is in vain. We're all people to yeah. be pitied. We should be pitied more than the Scientologists. We should be pitied more than those that bowed down to Baal. We should be pitied more than the Unitarians, than the Babylonians. We should be the most pitied people in the history of hu- humanity because we're putting all of our hope in a crucified man. Uh, but if he's risen from the dead, oh man, then our faith is not in vain. We are not still in our sins, that all of our sins have been forgiven and so you do have a provocative title in one of the chapters. We don't have time to talk about it today, but I'll just encourage readers to go listen to it. You basically say you don't need to ask, keep asking God for forgiveness. And yeah, I, I, you got to go read it and see what he's saying. I, I, I do. I, I appreciate what you're saying. I think it's a good corrective is that there is kind of this weight of, well, if I don't ask for forgiveness, I could go to hell. And like, well, no, you have no, as a Christian, as someone in union with Christ, who's been raised with Christ, you have no unforgiven sin. Uh, you might have some unconfessed sin, but you have no unforgiven sin. Um, it's all been covered by, we've been washing the blood, baby. It, it is all dipped, all dipped in Christ, all, all covered. Uh, but what we do grow in is felt forgiveness. That's real. Uh, yeah. W- what would you say to that? Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say, like, it's our, like, whether overt penance or like the subtle ways we like make deals with God or that kind of stuff. Like most of us, most people that I've experienced in 23 years of ministry, when they realize sin in their life, they, they approach God with such fear and trepidation and not just guilt because rightly sin makes us guilty, but, but shame. And it's almost this like, Oh God, what if this is the one that pushes me too far? Like what if this was the unforgivable sin? And, and if we have this like unintended, every time we sin for those in Christ, every time we sin, we have to ask God for forgiveness again. Then it does like this fear and trepidation wins the day. But if we remember what you're saying, Jeff, that, that everything already has been forgiven and we just need to be reminded of that, then we get, it, it gives us such a freedom to go to God and be like, God, like you became even more glorious in my mind because yeah. even this one, even this one, you've already forgiven 2000 years ago. Yeah. Or eternity it's, past or whenever it happens. Yeah. So it just yeah. it just changes the gospel changes everything. Go figure. But it really does change everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's like it's like the gospel's amazing or something. Uh, amazing amazing <laughs> grace. Like like this, yeah, this is what we sing. This is what we celebrate. That's so real. Um yes. yeah. And so I, I'm I I'm so struck by resurrection readings that, you mm-hmm. know, it's like you see at the end of the gospels that the disciples are frequently saying or, or even throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and I think John too, frequently putting these little notes that when Jesus said this, they didn't understand it until he rose again from the dead. That's it. Uh, yeah. You know, like they, they, oh, then they understood after the resurrection. Mm. It's like, yeah, we, we can really only begin to grasp these things when we see Jesus risen and we're filled with his spirit and the spirit illuminates these things, brings them to our mind. To where yeah. we can truly understand um, how the gospel is the lens now um, that we've been meant to have. That was, mm-hmm. as Paul says in Galatians, that God even preached the gospel to Abraham. Um, right. But, you know, the lens is getting more and more clear, and we we, we see all these things now reflected uh, to us now in the scriptures. But maybe we can end on this one last thing. You talk about having a, a gospel-centered gospel. Yeah. Uh, I, I love redundancies, too. <laughs> Um, and I love, 
oxymorons even at times. I mean, I wrote a book that is a total oxymoron, humble Calvinism, <laughs> that seems every time I mention it, I get a joke about, I thought those didn't exist. I thought, I was like, and I tell everybody, yeah, it's a fiction book. Um, but, but, <laughs> but what do you mean by we got to have a truly gospel-centered gospel? Yeah. Yeah. It's, and we've already kind of uh, danced around this a little bit during the conversation. So just to, to say it overtly, the gospel truly does change everything. And and, and there's so much of our common teaching and, and our shared vein, uh, Jeff, prioritizes kind of the, the past and future realities of the gospel, that, that the gospel event, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus is a historical reality. For those of us who are in Christ, it's also like a personal part of our history. It's something that we believed in the past, um, and it greatly benefits our future. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek way to think about it. Past event greatly benefits our future. Um, in that, you know, true things will happen. We will be reconciled one day. We will get to walk with God as in Eden. All, all the promises. We don't have to go to hell. Like, that's all really good news. But the gospel-centered gospel says it also impacts the way that we not only read our scriptures, as we've been talking about for a while, but it impacts the way we relate one to another. It impacts the way that we um, call people to obedience for those of us who are in ministry and preaching and this kind of stuff. It, it, it changes the way that we parent. Uh, we give what we have received. We love because we've been first loved. Like there's so much present tense reality that is laced throughout the New Testament, especially that because of Jesus's work, the first few letters of or first few chapters of many of Paul's letters. Because of that, there is a future yeah. hope. But so much more of the New Testament is here's why this matters today. Um, and so, even referenced in the book, Jesus's mission statement of you know today this today the prophecy has been fulfilled from Isaiah. You know, I came to open the eyes of the blind and set the captives free and this kind of stuff. And if Jesus instructs us to pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. And then he gives us his spirit and you see this great thing happen in the book of Acts, then, then the truly life-changing gospel does change our eternal life, but it also changes our life today. And yeah. the, the Bible points us to that. The Bible is helpful in a way to remind us of that in this, in a way that songs and sermons and all the beautiful things that churches do are helpful reminders of how deep the gospel goes. But going back to where we started, the consistent reminder is that we need Jesus for life and none of these other things will suffice. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We, we need Jesus so much and I'm so thankful um, that he's our Lord and savior and Mm -hmm. that the scriptures point us to him and that we can drink of him, meet with him, hear him, his sheep, hear his voice. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I'm thankful that your books reminding us of that. And so if you're a, a preacher, a planter, go pick up Ben's book, reading the Bible, Missing the gospel, go. It'll enrich your Bible reading, enrich your study. If you're a, a small group leader, or maybe you're a Bible study leader, or a student ministry leader, go go pick up that book and see how you could. Maybe you'll be confronted with some ways that your teaching could be refined, or your own personal Bible reading. Or if you're just a member of a church listening, and you're like, "Yeah, I want to learn more about it," go go grab it. I know it'll be a blessing to you. It was put out by Moody, who puts out some wonderful books there. So I know you'll really, really benefit from this book. So thank you for writing that, Ben. Uh, I know it'll be a blessing to many. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for having me on. And yeah, my prayer is that this would be one tiny piece of the pie that God continues to use to draw people more to himself. So I know that's your prayer too. Yeah, amen. Well, Ben, we want to wrap up with three quick lightning round 
questions um, as, as quick as you can hit them, but feel free to have a little flex in there if you need to. What's a great book you've read recently that, that you want to recommend? Yeah, great book I've read recently. Um, I'm a huge fan of always having some sort of fictional audiobook going on. It just reminds me that, that uh, I can let God be God sometimes. Uh, so the Slough House series by Mick Heron has been a great book that I would highly recommend. Okay, great. Second, <laughs> how's how's that for text? throwing you for a loop? Yeah, never heard of it. Fiction, I'm like, what is that? Um, is that even real? <laughs> um, okay, uh, second, and I'm always confused. Like, It feels like fiction and like mm-hmm. nonfiction, like non, you would think that would be like the non-real one if it's non. I, I uh, Even as 100%. an author and a PhD student, I'm still like nonfiction. Which one's the real one? <laughs> The truthful one. Um, okay. And then second one, what's what's a text, a verse, a chapter, something that has, it could either be your favorite one of all time or just something that's really ministering to you right now? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I was really pondering uh, this morning the fact that in Genesis 1, light appears before there's a sun and moon and stars. Um, and so just the... the, the <laughs> the bigness and creativity and overarching like glory and brightness of God. Um, knowing the fact that God said, let there be light. And there was, and then a couple days later he made the sun and moon and stars. It was just this beautiful, like, Oh man, like there's a depth there that, that I obviously none of us will be able to comprehend. Um, but just that God himself is light revelation 21. Like there, there won't be need for sun and moon and stars because the, the, the brightness of the Lord and the lamb will be sufficient. It, that's just been rocking my world yeah. for the last couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. The last one, I did these out of order. I usually end with, with that one, but we'll do this one. And what one with this one? Um, how are you finding rest these days? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, as previously mentioned, I always have a, <laughs> a fictional audiobook going on. So, um, I'm finding rest these days. Uh, truly I read, um, Jack Miller, Paul Miller's dad, wrote a book called Letters to a Servant Leader, and I read that on sabbatical several years ago. And uh, it's this collection of letters that after Jack Miller passed, his wife collected and published. And it's all these letters from an old, wise, seasoned leader to younger leaders, many of whom are in in hard spots. And um, one of the things he says to this person, I can't remember the exact scenario the guy's walking through, but it's a hard, hard thing. Um, and uh, he goes, my, my recommend, I know you're feeling the weight of the world. I know that everything's going poorly. My recommendation to you, uh, is to go read some Robert Ludlum. And I was like, oh man, who's the spiritual guru, Robert Ludlum, who is going to make all this better. Uh, Jeff, you know who Robert Ludlum is? He's written like some spy novels and stuff, right? He wrote, he wrote the born, the born identity series. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I love <laughs> yeah. those movies. They're some of my favorite movies. I've never read the Absolutely. books, but I love yeah. the movies. <laughs> well, essentially, what, what, my interpretation, what Jack Miller was saying, at least, is like, I know things are going poorly. Go find something and let yourself be human and trust God to be God. Um, and there's just yeah. been something seriously refreshing about that for the last seven years. And so uh, while it might sound silly that I find rest in 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 spy novels, nonfiction, or I'm uh, sorry, fictional books where things blow up a lot and intrigue and mystery happens. Um, I actually find a lot of rest in that because it's a declaration of, all right, God, um, I'm going to give myself to this and just receive and feel some lightness and have some fun. That's good, brother. That's a great, great reminder <laughs> that, that we all need to heed that, uh, yeah. the Lord is in control. 
We can pick yeah. up a book. We can pick up a walk. We can yeah. uh, take a movie. We can yeah. take a movie. We can do all these things. Uh, take these up and, and enjoy. If you need a more spiritual answer, I love morning coffees with the scriptures and uh, seeing the glories of the mountains as well. Hey, but it's all good. <laughs> all good. Everything created by God is good. And to be received with thanksgiving and, uh, and make holy by the word and prayer. So thank God for, uh, for good, good common graces to enjoy out there too. Well, Ben, thank you so much, brother, for coming on the show. It's great to see you again and great to speak with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Listeners, today's show is edited and produced by Aaron Logan, and I am your host, Jeff Metters. Let's keep planting churches worldwide.